wanted to comment mm-hmm. on the bird fiasco we had in the front yard this morning. As you know, mm-hmm. I am trying to befriend the the murder of crows that live in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We're doing pretty well. They live right in the tree, and we talk to them and see them every day. Feed them peanuts from the Audubon Society. Mm-hmm. And also, we have a bunch of hazelnuts mm-hmm. for the squirrels. So. Okay. I was like, ooh, we're going to mix it up. Tito's going to be super stoked, even though she's planting peanuts off of my goddamn yard. <laughs> Who's Tito? Tito is a squirrel that lives <laughs> in the tree right where we park our cars. Okay. <laughs> They're neighbors. Uh, for most part, good neighbors. Mm-hmm. Tito is a, a mama. So oh. I was like, oh, she's so sweet. I called her Tito because I was like, oh, what a cute squirrel. And then I saw she had teats. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, Tito. <laughs> so anyway. Good name. Good name. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was, on the menu this morning was um, peanuts and hazelnuts. So mm-hmm. go out there, throw them out. No Tito in sight. The crows had a large meal this morning because I heard them talking to each other when I got home from getting coffee. And they had something a little creature Mm -hmm. uh that they i was like all right well you guys enjoy your breakfast i guess yeah (laughs) so anyway no tito no crows around so i was like "Hmm, well whatever and then i hear a fucking ruckus so i go to look out the screen door and there are like seven blue jays and i was like (gasps) these sons of bitches no (laughs) because they're so rude Mm-hmm. to each other and to the other birds and they were so loud i was like oh my god i mean i'm gonna have to text nancy and apologize <laughs> i don't know what kind of frenzy i started this morning but they are loud and are oh my gosh and then a whole flock of like starlings came in <gasps> oh and it was oh my gosh it was like <laughs> It was like Old Town Buffet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you didn't. It became Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It sure in did. Your front yard very quickly. <laughs> and I was like, Larve, come look at this. Look at all these fucking birds. <laughs> and then we saw two blue jays like fighting, and I tried to break it up by yelling at them. And <laughs> and then a third guy swooped in. It was a real. There was some real drama going on. There's a full out bar brawl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, in the peanut hut. So. It was fun to watch. They were, yeah. yeah. And then, as you witnessed, just mm-hmm. when you got here, I had to yell at Tito. Yeah. Like, open the window in the living room and yell at Tito <laughs> yeah. for burying more peanuts in the yard. So. But, you know, Tito does what she wants. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that's <laughs> that's my fucking tale of the morning. <laughs> you just started a huge fight between some birds. Great. Way to go, me. With Autobahn-approved peanuts. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. Oh, hi. <laughs> this is that Broad's Got Moxie. It sure is. My name is Kiana. This is Cassie. Danny's here. She's sitting here. She's chilling. Are you on Bumble BFF right now? <laughs> she Danny's- heard- over it and she is like i gotta i gotta make new friends she was like man that bird fight this morning was a bit much i need more friends <laughs> so that i could be anywhere but here <laughs> shade uh, anyway <laughs> so who's going first this week i know we talk about this we, we say the exact same thing every week but mm-hmm. who- it's always a mystery to us yeah. <laughs> I think it's my turn, though. Is it your turn? Okay, Because last time, you went first. <laughs> I'm glad somebody's fucking keeping track, because I'm not. <laughs> okay. Okay, who are you talking so about go. this week? I am talking about Huanani K. Trask. Okay. Yes. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, boy, I'm ready. I love it when you give me that, like, buckle up, yo. <laughs> buckle up. This is just what's happening. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So Huanani K. Trask was born on October 3rd, 1949 in San Francisco to parents Bernard Kaukauhu Trask and Huanani Trask. So she's named after her mom. Mm -hmm. Her mother taught elementary school and her father was a lawyer. So pretty well to well to do. Sure. Knowledge is important in that household. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Trask and her family are descendants of the... 
Pi'ilani line of Maui and the Kahakumaua line of Kauai. There's a lot of Hawaiian pronunciations in this, and Look, I'm doing my damnedest. Very good. Thank you. You just push. You just push right on through that. I'm trying. Good for you. <laughs> Her paternal grandfather was. David Trask Sr., who was a chairman of the Civil Service Commission and the Police Commission in 1922 and served as the Sheriff of Honolulu from 1923 to 26. Hmm. Basically, what I'm saying, her family is pretty influential. Yeah. Very Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah. She was born the first daughter of five siblings in her family, uh, where they grew up on the island of Oahu. She graduated from Kamehameha school in Honolulu and later attended the University of Wisconsin. Sweet. Isn't that where Maddie went? <laughs> yes, but she went to Wisconsin and Huanani went to Madison. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And to be clear, my friend Maddie, yes, Madison, yeah. is not named after Madison, Wisconsin. No. She's named after a little girl at a baseball game that her mother overheard. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> named Madison. <laughs> So I will clarify, because <laughs> Danny has just brought it to my attention that I misspoke. My friend Maddie, they both went to the University of Wisconsin. Huanani and my friend Maddie. Yes. <laughs> Huanani went to the Madison campus, and Maddie went to the Milwaukee campus. Perfect. Clear. Crystal clear. Fantastic. Excellent. I did it. <laughs> So while at the University of Wisconsin, she got her bachelor's degree in political science. Huanani, Maddie, we're not talking about her anymore. <laughs> this, is, this episode isn't about Maddie. <laughs> this is not about Maddie. We're just going to talk about Huanani. <laughs> um, so during her time there, uh, she was known to be vocal about uplifting indigenous nations and gained widespread support for her cause. As a graduate student and vocal feminist at the time, she fought to have the women's studies and feminist theory courses included as a part of the campus curriculum. Excellent. She was fucking rad. Like, from a young age, just like, hey, shit's bad. Come on. Let's let's fix it. In 1981, she earned a PhD in political science. And pretty immediately after completing that, she went and began teaching at the University of Hawaii, where she started in the American Studies Department. Her dissertation was revised into her first book, and in 1986, the University of Pennsylvania Press published Eros and Power, the Promised Feminist Theory. Excellent. As a professor, Huanani advocated for numerous issues, including resisting gender-based violence against women and supporting indigenous nations, particularly between disputes between Native Hawaiians and the United States. She also railed against the tourism industry and openly challenged white male anthropologists who claimed authority to speak and write about cultural and political movements in Hawaii and Oceania. Yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> she was like, white people, stop, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know who would know it better? The people who are there. <laughs> Ask some questions, assholes. <laughs> So the same year that her book was published, Huanani co-founded the Contemporary Field of Hawaiian Studies mm. and became the first tenured professor in the field at the University of Hawaii. Hot damn. So she's making moves. Yeah, she is. With her sister, Huanani was also a founding member of Ka Lahui Hawaii, which is an organization that promotes self-determination for Hawaiians, which held its first convention in 1987. Ka Lahui demanded that the territory of Hawaii be ceded to it after it had drawn up a constitution for Hawaiian self-government along the lines of, like, a nation within a nation mm -hmm. that other indigenous tribes had in yeah. America. The bills were introduced in the state legislature, but ultimate legislature... <laughs> bills were introduced in the state legislature, but they ultimately failed to pass. Oh. <laughs> She was also involved in land struggles on Oahu and openly opposed the evictions of Hawaiians from sand islands, the development of Hi'ia wetlands near her childhood home, and the gentrification of Waimanalo. Excellent. You're killing it. <laughs> Am I? Am I? Mean, I? <laughs> you're really giving it your all, and I appreciate the shit out of that. The thing that kills me mm -hmm. when I do this mm -hmm. is that I read these in practice, mm -hmm. and I can do it. <laughs> you said <laughs> 
two episodes ago. And like, I try really hard and I practice them so I know how to say them. And then I get in front of the mic and just bleh, garbage comes out. I was reading these for Zeth before uh-huh. I came here. And shout out to Zeth who actually helped me with the pronunciation this time oh. because I was just running a little short on time Bless. because I did prioritize watching The Real Housewives of Potomac. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot deal. <laughs> um, but during my studying last night, I was like, Huanani, fantastic. I know how to pronounce her name. Sure. I'm a big fan. And then I was reading it to Zeth and I was like, and um ha 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 I just could not do it. And I was like, why am I like this? Why am I like this? Also, Mm -hmm. in The Real Housewives of Potomac, (laughs) highly recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Potomac as, like, Washington, D.C. Potomac? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. I had never heard of Potomac before it. Oh, okay. But what you need to know about these women Uh is that (laughs) in the first episode, they're like, Potomac is the best-kept secret to keep the riffraff out. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they sound like real trash monsters. (laughs) All trash monsters. All very entertaining. (laughs) Back to my story. <laughs> Haonani was respected for her outspoken rejection of American occupation of Hawaiian lands and the hypocrisy of U.S. policy and was not afraid to say so. So one famous clip of her speaking that you might have seen because mm-hmm. it makes its rounds on the Internet pretty mm-hmm. frequently, mm-hmm. at least in my circle. But that makes sense because I am island. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure that people have seen this. Anyways, it's from a 1990 episode of a television show called Island Issues. And it opens with a caller having an issue. So it's like one of those sure. call-in. Uh-huh. She has an issue specifically with Hawaiians rallying against the white man. Oh. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. specifically regarding land ownership. Uh-huh. So in her whole thing, she's like... Why are you so upset? But why aren't you upset with the Japanese who are doing it? Also, you know, Hawaiians buy land in America. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. And she ends her, like, rant mm-hmm. with, this is America, don't you know? Which oh, is... For fuck's sake. <laughs> God damn it. Those are my people. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. But she was quickly gathered by Hunani. <laughs> and... Who was immediately ready for the question. Like, Uh, very uh little time passed between when she ended her complaint Uh and Huanani started speaking. Huanani went. (gasps) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, tell me. So, she says, and I'm going to read the quote. Okay, perfect. Can I just say something to this caller? This is not America. This is Polynesia. Our country was stolen. That's one of your problems. You're ignorant. Woefully ignorant. I am very active against Japanese ownership of our land. I have testified repeatedly with various commissions and at the legislature in opposition to any foreigner owning Hawaiian land. But you, caller, need to learn about Hawaiian history and about where you are and the attitude that you have is the same attitude that Joey Carter has. You think you are in America. You are not in America. You are in a colony that is in Polynesia that is forcibly taken. Just as I might add, all of Eastern Europe was forcibly taken by the Soviet Union union which americans think is a very very bad place the bad bad soviet union well the bad bad united states of america took puerto rico it took alaska it stole indian land it took hawaii it took guam took micronesia palau and you had better learn that history because you are the recipient of an imperialist tradition yes (laughs) fucking mic drop i have goosebumps And when she's doing it, she's so poised. And when she starts saying the part about, like, the bad, bad <laughs> Soviet Union, yep. she's has her, like, finger under her chin uh-huh. and then brings it out to, like, point. And she goes, the bad, bad Soviet Union. America oh, thinks they're so gosh. bad. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. You know what? I love a brilliant woman who knows expertly where to be like mm, and just just sprinkle a little shade yeah a little <laughs> sass on it and be like oh mm-hmm. it's one thing to like know what you're talking about yeah and it's another thing to be able to articulate it so quickly and concisely yes, yes. beautiful 
This television interview was just one little snippet of Huanani's skill <laughs> at explaining U.S. hypocrisy and calling out those in the wrong with no trace of the politeness and submissiveness that white people expect when talking about race relations. Mm-hmm. There is an expectation that POC speaking out about injustices should do so in a way that appeases the white supremacist structure. However, she would have none of this tone policing. And Kayla Kelly put it aptly in her article how Huanani K. Trask shaped her people's struggle for independence. Quote, she embodied the righteousness of Hawaiian anger and resentment against settlers like a maestro. Giving shape to the substance, encouraging insurgency, imploring Hawaiians at every turn to remember of ourselves that which has been dismembered by U.S. occupation. In 1990, she made waves again Excellent. <laughs> from remarks directed at an undergraduate student at the University of Hawaii. The student wrote to the school paper and accused Native Hawaiians of holding racist attitudes towards white people on the island. Oh, God! <laughs> he had a specific issue with the Hawaiian word haole. Oh, fuck me. If anybody is... It's a word that Hawaiians call white people. Mm-hmm. And the student claimed that the term was derogatory and used in the same way that the N-word <laughs> has been used against African Americans. Oh, my gosh. Which is a popular thing to say. But again, I'm saying Howley, and I'm not saying the N-word. Exactly. So they are not equal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in response to this article, Huanani wrote, yes. Mr. Carter is a privileged member of American society because he is Howley, whether he acknowledges his privilege or not. His very presence in Hawaii, and before that in Louisiana, is a luxury provided him through centuries of white conquest that visited genocide on American Indians, slavery on Africans, peonage on Asians, and dispossession on Native Hawaiians. She went on to say that he does not understand racism at all and is free to leave Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Which he did leave Hawaii. (laughs) Good! Fucking bye! Exactly. People criticized her for being a little too harsh, but to that she said, quote, I am a nationalist. I am asserting my claim to my country. I am not soft. I am not sweet. And I do not (laughs) want any more tourists in Hawaii. Oh, my God. What a gem. (laughs) She's unapologetic. Also, Zeth and I talked about this this morning, too. Her sentence about or her comment about privilege was said in 1990s. Yeah. Which just marks like in today. Of mm-hmm. what we know today, this mm-hmm. is normal conversations that happen. Yeah. It's in the zeitgeist. Yep. And it was because of people like her who have been pushing against white supremacist power for so long that we yeah. are able to have these kinds of conversations. <sighs> She's great. She's a fucking saint. <laughs> she really My is. God. So after that happened in few years past mm-hmm. 1993 happens and she releases her second and probably most famous work called from a native daughter colonialism and sovereignty in hawaii <clears throat> um the book is considered a quote well-reasoned attack against rampant abuse of hawaiian rights institutional racism and gender discrimination in the book she challenges the hawaiian island marketing of like paradise yep um a depiction that she felt ignored the history of violence against the land and its native inhabitants uh she opposes tourism as we mentioned before and also she's against the u.s military presence in hawaii Mm. in the book she also asserts that indigenous nationalism so she called herself a nationalist Uh earlier is quote Born not out of predatory consumption, nor of murderous intolerance, but a genealogical connection to our place, Hawaii. Which is separate, I think is important to separate from American nationalism. Yes, there's a big diff there. (laughs) Which is uh, murderous intolerance and predatory consumption. A hundred percent. It's important to... To differentiate, yes. Yes, yes. In the same year that she released her book, this was the 100th anniversary of the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom, which if you want to hear about it in episode three, oh, yeah. I talk about Queen Liliuokalani, mm-hmm. who was the last monarch of Hawaii. Add. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so. On the 100th anniversary, she helped lead a march of Native Hawaiians who were actively seeking to reclaim the lands held in a trust by the state. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
It's, it was a land back march. This was one of the first major protests calling for a return of native lands in Hawaii, mm-hmm. which is a huge deal. And speeches took place in front of Honolulu's Iolani Palace, which is the home of Queen Liliuokalani yeah. before the land was stolen. When it was her turn to speak, she summed up much of what her life was about and reminded her fellow protesters why she stood before them, declaring, quote, The Americans, my people, are our enemies, and you must understand that. They are our enemies. They took our land. They imprisoned our queen. They banned our language. They forcibly made us a colony of the United States. And she ended her speech with, We are not American. We will die as Hawaiians. We will never be Americans. Oof. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. That same year, she also co-wrote and co-produced the award-winning documentary Act of War, The Overthrow of the Hawaiian Nation, which won nine different awards in three different countries. Damn. Yeah. Through her work, she established herself alongside other more radical activists and leaders, notably Malcolm X and Franz Fanon. Mm -hmm. She's sort of considered in the same realm as them. Um, She also maintained friendships with activists of her time, including Ward Churchill, Angela Davis, and Alice Walker. Good Uh, company. Right? Mm -hmm. Good company. (laughs) Not only did she speak out about land sovereignty, she frequently spoke out against the abuses of Hawaiians, such as banning the Hawaiian language, congressionally determined identity via blood quantum rules. So what they do to a lot of indigenous groups where they will literally oh, blood test people yep. and deter- and say like, oh, you're not Hawaiian enough uh-huh. or you are Hawaiian exactly. enough. Exactly. Oh, if you're, you got to be one sixteenth mm-hmm. or to technically qualify for whatever. Yeah. And it measures the indigenous yep. identity yep. in a way that no other identity is policed in mm-hmm. such a way. Mm-hmm. She also was against the transformation of the land and industry by settlers, pointing out that the Hawaiian islands used to sustain millions of people over millennia, and it is now a nation that is 90% dependent on imported foods. Oh, oh, that's so upsetting. Yeah. She also highlighted the shorter lifespans of Hawaiians, higher suicide rates, and the heinous overrepresentation in prison, poverty, and homelessness. She has represented Hawaii in front of the United Nations and has also spoken about these issues at other various global forums. In 1994, she showed a different side of her work after publishing her first book of poetry, which was called The Light in the Crevice Never Seen. The collection was the first book of poetry by an indigenous Hawaiian to be published in North America. Oh, wow. Book list's review of the book states... So Booklist is an entity. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, for mainlanders unaware of the racial issues in the apparent island paradise, Trask's work is an eye-opener. In heavily cadenced musical language, Trask explores the social realities affecting Native Hawaiians today, from youthful suicide to loss of language, from verbal racism to physical violence. But there is also in her work a deep connection to the island's beautiful ocean-ringed land and to the sustaining strengths of family and love. Fierce words from a woman known for her dedication to her people. Oh, I love that. Huanani continued to work and in 2002 released a second collection of poetry. This book is called Night is a Sharkskin Drum, uh, which was received just as well as her first book. Again, in her work, it is praised for her brutal yet beautiful depictions of Hawaii as it is ravaged by colonizers. Mm -hmm. In 2004, Trask spoke out against the Akaka Bill, which was a bill that was going to establish land rights in the same way that Native American tribes currently have access Uh to their land. However, at this point in her life, she had become more radicalized Uh because previously we talked about that she tried to get something passed in the legislature. But now she felt that the bill did not do justice for Native Hawaiian people because it allowed the U.S. government to control how it is that Native Hawaiians are able to engage I gotcha. uh, with their statehood, and it doesn't actually recognize Hawaii as its own nation. Mm-hmm. She also claimed that there were a lack of hearings being held about the bill with the intention of leaving out Native voices. Gotcha. So yeah. so silence by just avoiding it altogether. Yeah. Uh. Let's just not ask. Let's just, exactly. Let's just do it. Yeah. Because... On the surface level, you can be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great, mm-hmm. without actually listening to the Native voices. Absolutely. 
in 2010, she retired from the University of Hawaii after about 30 years. During her time there, she elevated the Hawaiian Studies program from a niche study with just like a few offices on campus. Mm-hmm. And when she left, it had a whole ass set of buildings on its own part of campus. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, She was praised as being a pivotal figure in showing the importance of critical analysis and creativity to foraging a more just future for indigenous people, which is great. Mm -hmm. In March 2017, Hawaii Magazine recognized her as one of the most influential women in Hawaiian history. Yeah, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And in 2009, she was awarded the Angela Davis Prize by the American Studies Association, which recognizes scholars who have applied or used their scholarship for public good. Which That's is amazing. Like, which is like, yeah, de- yeah. well deserved. <laughs> In April 2021, moving up to this year, Woo! she was given one of the highest honors that a person can receive in academia as she was elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences among the nation's oldest and most prestigious honorary societies. Amazing. Yeah. So, again, the Academy recognizes extraordinary people who help the world and contribute to the common good other people who have this award Mm -hmm. just to say how much of a big deal it is john adams charles darwin john f kennedy martin luther king jr and like 250 other nobel and pulitzer prize winners damn so it's good company to be yeah it is (laughs) but also there was one article that i read that was like it's kind of funny that she's being recognized by this association that she like she's not american (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it ironic? She's like, she probably is like good and good in the bad. Sure. And she's going to be, so she was elected to be in it and mm-hmm. she's going to be inducted in spring 2022. Okay. In her later years, she suffered from Alzheimer's disease and ultimately lived out of the public eye. And this year, July 3rd, 2021, she passed away oh. at 71 in oh, Honolulu. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. I was really sad when she died. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all. Mm -hmm. My sources today are Huanani K. Trask, renowned scholar who fought for Hawaiian sovereignty, dies at 71, by Kimi Yam, How Huanani K. Trask Shaped Her People's Struggle for Independence by Anne Kayla Kelly, Multiple Entries in the University of Hawaii's System News, and an article called Huanani K. Trask, Hawaiian Scholar and Activist, Dies at 71 by HNN Staff. And then there's also the video that I used from mm-hmm. Island Issues. Excellent. Oh, that's my person. Good. What an amazing woman. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> I highly encourage. I The video that I quoted and mm-hmm. it's like less than two minutes long. Yeah. Fuck Goosebump City. Like you action. read it and I was like... <gasps> <laughs> That's amazing. Who are you going to cover today? So, I don't remember if it was the last episode or two episodes ago. I mentioned that we had a listener, Tiana, Mm -hmm. who reached out to us and, you know, one check and see how we're doing and is super happy that we're back. And I was like, yeah, girl, me too. And also gave me, specifically, she didn't know it was going right to me, but because I... (laughs) Because I'm in charge of the Instagram. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is the suggestion that Tiana gave us. So today I'm going to cover Marina Abramovic. Okay. Okay. So uh, hold on. Let me just read you what. So this is just what Tiana said specifically about Marina. She's like, she's a Serbian performance artist who is wild all caps and so i was like well gonna have to look into this lady Mm -hmm. we love a wild woman we love a wild woman and she's so fucking fascinating like Mm -hmm. wow so i just want to put this out there so i can tell you about the documentary that i watched so i used a little bit of wikipedia Mm -hmm. a little bit of Mm britannica.com the marina abramovic institute website and then a lot of it I got from the documentary Marina Abramovic, The Artist is Present. Oh. So. Okay. Here we go. Marina Abramovic was born in Belgrade, Serbia on November 30th, 1946. 
So she's a Sagittarius. Both of her parents, Danica and... Hmm, I forgot how to pronounce this. I looked it up. It's V-O-J-I-N. Voyen, I think. They were Yugoslav partisans during World War II. So this group that they were in was considered to be Europe's most effective anti-Axis resistance movement. Okay. So fucking rebels against the bad guys. Yeah. Um, so after the war, Marina's parents became national heroes and they were given positions in the post-war Yugoslavian government. So big deal. Very yeah. high up. So Marina was raised by her grandparents until she was about six years old. And then when her younger brother was born, she began living like with her parents as like a family unit again. Hmm. She learned to play piano. She took French and English lessons and enjoyed painting as a young girl. However, living under her parents' roof was pretty terrible. <laughs> her parents had an unhappy marriage and everything was just super, super strict and regimented and like almost to the point of being like military mm-hmm. it, just, instead of just like a childhood <laughs> it, it was a, a rigmarole mm-hmm. she had a full-time yes. job yeah, absolutely <laughs> um so after you know like high school and stuff marina attended the academy of fine arts in belgrade and then completed her postgraduate studies in croatia uh, she then returned to serbia and from 1973 to 1975, she taught at the Academy of Fine Arts in Novi Sad, which is also in Serbia. Well, this is the beginning of her doing her first, like, solo performances. Ooh, okay. Okay, so enough background. And let's get down <laughs> to the real reason why Marina is so fucking fascinating. Her art. From the About section of the Marina Abramovic Institute website, quote, her work explores the relationship between performer and audience, the limits of the body, and the possibilities of the mind, unquote. Ooh. <laughs> Whenever somebody wants to talk about the possibilities of the mind. Oh, yeah. It, that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so being active for over four decades, Marina refers to herself as, quote, the grandmother of performance art. She pioneered a new notion of identity by bringing in the participation of the audience, mm-hmm. focusing on confronting pain, blood, and physical limits of the body. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I am very, I'm absolutely intrigued by art mm-hmm. in any form that it takes. Yeah. Performance art makes my mind explode just a little bit because it is so visceral yeah. for me. Like, I can't watch somebody sing mm-hmm. without getting a little verklempt, yeah. <laughs> you know, and getting, like, goosebumps in the feels and stuff. And so, like, because she's a p- performance artist, it's something that is real and live and happening in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it just... When I watched the documentary, I cried a bunch of times because mm-hmm. I was like, Danny was sitting next to me and I was, I was like, I just, I don't really know why this is happening. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of things. And also so. to bring in the audience. Yeah. And blurring those lines. Yeah. Okay. okay. So basically I'm going to go through and just kind of, I picked some of my like, favorite things that I read about or watched and it just like I was like oh gosh mm-hmm. I got a feeling about this so I'm just going to tell you about a couple of them okay okay so her first performance piece is titled Rhythm 10 from 1973 so the explanation of this I took from Wikipedia because I was like well they <laughs> they expressed <laughs> it very clearly <laughs> so basically what happened is she's got 20 knives two tape recorders and she plays the Russian game. So basically she put her hand down on a table with her fingers all splayed out mm-hmm. and one at a time grabbed one knife and would play the Russian game and stab between each of her fingers mm-hmm. with the point of the blade until she cut herself. And then she'd put that knife down and grab another knife and do it again. 
Mm -hmm. So that by the end, she had 20 injuries on her hand. So she replayed the tape, listened to the sounds, and then tried to repeat the same movements, attempting to replicate the mistakes. So essentially merging the past with the present. Mm -hmm. So she set out to explore the physical and mental limitations of the body. The pain and the sounds of the stabbing, the double sounds from the history, and the replication. The look on your face is so... Kiana is fucking shook with this, with this, guys. I, I truly am. Yeah. So, with this piece, Marina began to consider the state of consciousness of the performer and said, quote, Once you enter into the performance state, you can push your body to do things you absolutely could never normally do. And I was like, oof. That's why I'm not a performance artist. Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh... Mm-hmm. Have I told you about that one time I stabbed myself in the hand? Yes. Have I said it for the podcast? I don't know. I don't think so. So, tell us. I was trying to cut an avocado, mm-hmm. as as one does. As one does. But I didn't know how to get the pit out. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of doing that thing where you, like, hit it with the knife and you twist, you do a little twist yep. and it get, comes out, mm-hmm. I was just stabbing <gasps> the avocado seed <sighs> and ripping it out. And one time, I stabbed straight through the avocado into my hand. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, no. And I was home by myself and had a panic attack right in that kitchen floor all by myself. And and that is (laughs) one cut on one hand, and I did it by accident. Marina (laughs) has, on her own choice, for Uh the sake of art. For the sake of art. Stabbed herself 28, 20? 28. 20. 20 times in the hand Mm -hmm. and was fine and was like, you know, I'm going to do it again. That to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It really does push the human limit. It sure does. (laughs) But also, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Was was the hand avocado incident Mm -hmm. before or after the time you stabbed yourself in the leg with the box cutter? Box cutter. Mm -hmm. That was before. (laughs) I do not learn my lesson and I refuse to. (laughs) Somebody needs to take all the sharp objects away from your general vicinity. (laughs) Well, I'm not allowed to use box cutters anymore at my house. (laughs) So. Every time time I've cut myself. You've been by yourself. I've been by myself (laughs) and had to figure it out. (laughs) I stabbed myself right here. It was a small knife, like uh-huh. a paring knife. Well, that's good. So that it didn't do as much damage as it possibly could have. Yeah. If I was using, say, a butcher knife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A chef's knife that just yeah. right through the hand. Ooh. Okay. Marina. Getting a little Ooh. queasy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't touch hot things. That's the rule in our house. Oh. That's because hard because you bake. <laughs> I do. But I don't. Last summer. Mm-hmm. Last summer. This all happened on the same day. I was trying to, um, I was making coasters Mm -hmm. and Mm. I was using a hot glue gun and I glued one thumb Mm -hmm. with a very, very hot glue and a bottle cap stuck to that (laughs) thumb. But then when I tried to pull it off, it burned the other thumb. So the same hot glue on the same bottle cap managed to burn the shit out of both of my thumbs. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And earlier in the day, I was making, trying to make tomato sauce. So I was blanching tomatoes and spilled hot, like, boiling water, a little blob of it, right on my belly. So I had a big old fucking gnarly blister on my stomach. Ugh. And two thumbs. So I walked around with my two thumbs bandaged <laughs> all weekend last year during the 4th of July. So And people probably thought it was because of fireworks. <laughs> a- absolutely, they did. Absolutely. So you can't have sharp things. Mm-hmm. I can't have hot things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... And Marina mm-hmm. can have all the things because she fucking does like nobody's business. art. Because art. Exactly. Okay. Next one. Rhythm five uh, from 1974. So in this performance, Marina sought to re-evoke the energy of extreme bodily pain 
What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) By essentially making a big star on the ground Mm -hmm. in, like, gasoline. And then she lit it on fire. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then she's, she's standing outside of the star. She cut her nails and her toenails and her hair. And when she finished with each... She threw the clippings into the flames and then they like burst, you know? Mm-hmm. So she she does all this and then she jumps across the flames into the center of the star. At first, due to the light and smoke given off by the fire, mm-hmm. the audience did not realize that she had lost consciousness from lack of oxygen being inside the star. She was laying down. I forgot to say that part. She's laying down inside the star. Okay. So when they were like, oh, she's not, she's not conscious anymore. The flames eventually came very near her body and she did move. She was passed out. No. And then a doctor and others intervened and took her from it. Okay. Marina later commented upon this experience, quote, I was very angry because I understood there is a physical limit. When you lose consciousness, you can't be present. You can't perform. Mm. And I was like, what? What? Why? (laughs) (laughs) This is bad. She she has a passion for it because... To be angry that she just couldn't perform and not... And that she wasn't present and, like, present of mind Mm -hmm. to know what was happening and and to be able to interact with it. Mm -hmm. This is a whole thing that I just can't wrap my brain around, but it is fucking fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Her performances test the physical limitations of the human body. Mm -hmm. And another one of the rhythm collection... She takes a medication mm-hmm. that makes her body con- convulse violently, only to be followed by a different drug to relax the body, which seems like a bad time to me, but it it, it wore off five hours later. But this is oh, like five hours. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how long the first half of it lasted, mm-hmm. but... I think the other thing about her performances is not just, like, the physical limitations of it, mm-hmm. but is, like, the endurance of it. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that because it ex- she just explores, like, everything about the human body mm-hmm. in in various ways and testing all of the, the limits and it's bananas. She's tough. Yeah, <laughs> she is. She's fucking hard as nails. Yeah. In another one of the rhythm pieces, she is naked, mm-hmm. approaches an industrial-sized, like, a big industrial-sized fan, mm-hmm. and in t- attempts to inhale as much air as possible, but exceeded the limit her- of her lungs and passed out as a result. <laughs> so there's that one. <laughs> rhythm Zero. I forgot to write down what, what year Rhythm Zero was. This is this one. Mm-hmm. I was like... <gasps> Oh, my God. Okay. So, Marina, she's in a room. Mm -hmm. There's a table with 72 objects placed on the table. So, she's standing in this small room Mm -hmm. with an audience. And the audience was invited to do to her whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Using Mm -hmm. any of the objects on the table. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) The things on the table included a rose, a feather, perfume, honey, bread, grapes, wine, scissors, a scalpel, nails, a metal bar, and a gun loaded with one bullet. Uh! (laughs) Yeah. Uh! Yeah. I know. I don't okay, goosebumps city over here. Like I can't handle it at all. I'm so afraid. Yeah. <laughs> she said the purpose of the piece was to find out how far the public would go. Quote, "What is the public about and what are they going to do in this kind of situation?" Uh, I don't so, like I mean, them. <laughs> she's alive, but like yeah. 
It's so, oh gosh, <laughs> she's so incredible because it is the idea of making yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and standing there and allowing people to do anything they wanted. There were also, there was like markers mm-hmm. and I think lipstick and so people could write, you could write on her. Mm-hmm. And the idea that humans, given the chance to do something with no, with absolutely no consequences, mm-hmm. is like, oh, oh, God, human nature is terrifying. Like, yeah. oof, oof. That's, it was, it, that was a lot. Yeah. I'm a fan of art. I don't know if I'm a, a particular fan of this rhythm series. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. The rhythm series is a is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Whew. So, rhythm series mm-hmm. is done. In 1976, after completing her rhythm works and moving to Amsterdam, mm-hmm. Marina met the West German performance artist called Ule. Okay. Okay. And so they began working and living together. They became lovers and had a very they're both artists, mm-hmm. so just a um, fucking, like, mind, body, spirit, meld, like, very much kind of became one mm-hmm. entity. Yeah. Which is, they they talk a lot about it in the documentary. Absolutely fascinating. So they began working together, and their collaborations explored the ego and artistic identity. So, again, kind of melding into this... What does it mean to be separate people, mm-hmm. but work together as one, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Listening and reading to people who know art mm-hmm. and who understand it on a deep level. I'm like, you got that out of that? I didn't understand it. It just gave me the shivers. <laughs> <laughs> but damn. Yeah. Smart people know what they're talking about and to get to the the essence mm-hmm. of what a piece means mm-hmm. and what it's supposed to evoke in you fascinating Mm -hmm. so the two developed some incredible pieces during their decade together in a piece called relation in space in 1976 they just run into each other repeatedly for an hour (laughs) which is another one of those things where it's like what what's happening here and it's all about like it's fascinating to watch like this kinetic energy and like the I don't the sciencey things that are mm-hmm. like you the you know the the force from a moving object doesn't stop it transfers to another moving object and that moves right mm-hmm. so just watching this is it's a little strange but it's very fascinating mm-hmm. also they were both fucking like black and blue after doing this cuz they're oh, literally damn. just walking into each other and then getting up and walking past and then turning around and doing it again Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but that's what they're doing. In relation in time, in 1977, they sat back to back. They both had long hair, Mm -hmm. so they tied their ponytails together Mm -hmm. and were connected by, like, their hair Mm -hmm. for 16 hours. Oh. I was going to say, oh, that's just sister stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 16 hours. That is a long time. That's a time. long time. Yeah. So then they allowed the public to come into the room mm-hmm. where they were doing this and basically to see if they could use the energy mm-hmm. in of these people to just, to keep it going. Again, to just like push the limits of how long can we sit here crisscross on the floor with our heads back and our hair tied together. Oh, wow. Yeah. She would do very good on Survivor because, you know, every season they do that one where they just have to sit for a long time Uh or hold on to something Uh for a long time. Too bad she wasn't around for that. (laughs) Yeah, because she'd fucking kill it. Yeah. Imponderabilia in 1977. This was just two performers, originally them, but it was recreated later with different Hmm. people. Uh, Two performers of opposite sexes, both completely nude stand in a narrow doorway. Mm-hmm. And as a person who wants to participate in this exhibition, you have to squeeze between them in order to pass through this doorway. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you have to choose which one of these people to face. 
And that was really fascinating to watch in the documentary to see the original Mm -hmm. and then also it being recreated at MoMA later Mm -hmm. and just like. That feels like it could be an interesting thing to do like everywhere. Yeah. Just to see how the reaction is. Yeah. Do you know what people tended to do? Did they tend to make eye contact with? I think I think they're. Just watching, you know, some clips of it, mm-hmm. there were, I feel like, more people than not mm-hmm. who did look at the person as they were brushing past their naked body. Mm-hmm. I think there were a couple people who were like, okay, I'm going to participate, but, like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here as soon as possible. <laughs> and we're just like, I'm not going to look at anything. I'm just going to yeah. look at the floor while I squeeze through here. Yeah. But it, again, it's another one of those things. It's just like spatially, how mm-hmm. do you're pressing up against someone? How much how much clothes do you have on mm-hmm. versus them not wearing anything, you know? Yeah. So there's just a lot of interesting parts that go into that. I know I would be eyes closed, hands up. <laughs> Scooting past. Yeah. Excuse well, me. no, no, Don't no. It's me. not Don't perceived. You me. can't go through this way. Why? Because you are, you're, it's narrow in, in the way that you have to turn sideways. Okay. So. Then I would turn sideways. Like <laughs> Don't look at me. You're not a gaze upon. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no going through, like, one on either arm. It's force like, they're so narrow that it forces you to turn sideways. So you have to physically put, like, the entire expanse of your body mm-hmm. against the front of another person's body. <laughs> That's a very, it's very stressful because I don't even know which way to face when I'm scooting through people at the movie theater. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, do I give them the butt? Do I give them the coochie? What yeah. am I doing? What do you want in your face? What do I feel like putting in your face? That's a hard decision. Yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting to watch. Okay. So. 1988, after several years, uh, a decade practically, mm-hmm. of tense relations, Marina and Ule decided to make a spiritual journey that would end their relationship. Okay. This is fucking fascinating. Mm-hmm. So they each walked the Great Wall of China. Okay. Okay. And this piece is called Lovers. So Marina started from the Yellow Sea. Mm-hmm. And Ule started from the Gobi Desert. After each of them walked 2,500 kilometers, they met in the middle and said goodbye. And that was, that's the whole piece, is them just walking. That's like, I got goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that's really an interesting. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Especially, so it took, it took them eight years to get permission from the Chinese government to do this. Oh, wow. So, so for it, eight years, they were just <laughs> waiting? For eight, for the, their relationship lasted for roughly 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think this originally started as oh. the end of their relationship. But because it them, took them eight years to get permission to do it, mm-hmm. by the time that they got a yes, they were in a position where they were like... Let's do this piece, but this is the last one, and this will be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, oh, that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. This one, oh, this is from 1997. Mm-hmm. It was called Balkan Baroque, and in this piece, Marina vigorously scrubbed thousands of bloody cow bones over a period of four days, and this was all to represent the ethnic cleansing. That had taken place in the Balkans. Mm -hmm. So it was a protest against war and against this ethnic cleansing. And she was, so that was, yeah. And then there was a whole bunch of other stuff, but I was like, well, this is getting to be like four and five pages. I should probably get to some (laughs) stuff. Okay. So we are in 2010 and the artist is present. So this was at MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So during the run of the exhibition, the artist is present. It lasted 736 hours and 30 minutes of just static, silent 
sitting, basically. Mm-hmm. So there's a big rectangle drawn on the floor, mm-hmm. and it's on the second floor atrium of MoMA. There's big theater lights, right? Mm-hmm. There's two chairs, and originally there was a table, mm-hmm. and then eventually the table came out. So visitors could wait in line and were in- invited individually to come and sit across from the artist while she maintained eye contact with them. And this is fucking fascinating to watch because they have this. Obviously, the artist is present is Mm -hmm. the exhibition, but also the name of the documentary. Mm -hmm. These people just walk up and sit down and Marina's kind of sitting there like who's got her head down at first. And she when they sit down, she straightens up and opens her eyes and they just look each other in the eyes Mm -hmm. and like some people come in and smile some people come in and just are trying to like figure her out Mm -hmm. and trying to look into her fucking soul yeah studying her studying her but then there's some people who clearly are just looking for like human connection Mm -hmm. who come in and their eyes meet and just tears. And I was like, oh my god, I don't understand this. Why am I feeling all these feelings? Yeah. So, I'm feeling it right now because yeah. it's very strange. I imagine, like you were saying yeah. earlier, performance art is very visceral. It is. Absolutely. And I it was, am interested in seeing this. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Tiana, thank you so much for recommending <laughs> this. Because not on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. And it was, I moved Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this happened from, it opened March 14th and ran to May 31st. Wow. So this is hope happening like day in, day out. Uh, visitors began crowding the atrium within days of the show opening, some gathering before the exhibit or the museum even opened, mm-hmm. like outside the doors. Like, people waiting to get tickets for a concert. Yeah. Just to try to either, A, get in line to sit across from her. Mm-hmm. Or just to watch as other people had this interaction. Mm-hmm. Most people sat with her for five minutes or less. A few sat with her for an entire day. Wow. Yeah. Due to the strenuous nature of sitting for hours at a time... Art enthusiasts have speculated as to whether Marina had to wear, like, an adult diaper. Mm-hmm. But also, in the thing, she shows that the chair she's sitting on has, like, a secret hidden drawer under uh-huh. her, just oh. in case of emergencies. <laughs> and I was like, god damn. If, yeah, if I, like, I couldn't sit that long and not wiggle around. Like, she does... She moves, like, her shoulders and her neck mm-hmm. and her back a little bit, but very, very little movement. I don't think I saw her adjust, like, her butt mm-hmm. once. Oof. She's extremely tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really, really fascinating to watch. Yeah. At this point, she is... She's 62. She's 62 in doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. wow yeah i mean 62 or 52 it's a 54 excuse me 64 64 64. not 62 yes 64 it's even more impressive (laughs) yeah yeah it sure is okay so ultimately marina sat across from 1545 sitters including james franco alan rickman who who we love Jennifer Carpenter, Deb from Dexter, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. and Bjork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all of those names, Bjork does feel like the most... Absolutely. The Abs- most right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so sitters were asked not to touch or speak to her. Oh, Marina concluded the performance by slipping from the chair where she was seated and rising to a cheering crowd more than 10 people deep just an enormous eruption of applause from this atrium full of people wow yeah okay marina said the show changed her life quote completely 
every possible element, every physical emotion. Interesting enough, after Lady Gaga saw the show and publicized it, Marina found like a whole new audience of much younger yeah. art appreciators, yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> wild. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Thank you, Lady Gaga. Yeah. In fact, they worked together on Art Pop. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marina was worked in, in some creative capacity with mm-hmm. Lady Gaga for Art Pop. And I was like, fuck me. That's nuts. <laughs> That's a fucking awesome. I got two more things real quick. So in 2008, mm-hmm. Marina did, it was, it's called Rising, and it's a virtual reality piece. Okay. Which is, it's real weird, but I mm-hmm. like it. So Rising addresses the effects of climate change by transporting viewers to witness rising sea levels. So through your, like, VR goggles, mm-hmm. viewers enter an intimate virtual space where they come face to face with Marina, who is in a glass tank that is slowly filling with water. You know, I think I've heard of this. Yeah? Because, yeah, okay, keep going. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So the users are invited to make contact with Marina and then find themselves surrounded by a dramatic scene of melting polar ice caps. Mm -hmm. She urges viewers to reconsider their impact on the world around them, asking them to choose whether or not to save her from, from drowning by pledging to support the environment. Which lowers the water in the tank. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, oh, ooh, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Rising sea level. So, this last one is something that hasn't even happened yet. It's happening in <laughs> September and I'm going to buy tickets and I'm going to w- watch it, like, virtually. Okay. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Okay. So, this is just something that, this is a quote from her. Quote, for 31 years... I have wanted to make a work dedicated to the life and art of Maria Callas. I have read all of her biographies, listened to her extraordinary voice, and watched her on film. A Sagittarius like me. I have always been fascinated by her personality, her life, and her death. Like so many of the characters she created on stage, she died for love. She died from a broken heart. Most operas end with the woman dying, and more often than not, It is because of love. She will leap from precipices, burn, be strangled, strangulated, stabbed, or simply go mad. I want to reenact the death scenes from seven operas, seven deaths that Maria Callas has died before me. End quote. (laughs) And so I watched the preview. Oh, God. The preview for this Uh whole piece looks it's oh my god it's so beautiful mm-hmm. it's just gonna be so good so maria callas i forgot to write down all of the the seven things but maria callas is an, obviously mm-hmm. an opera performer and in all these different operas she dies as a broken-hearted woman mm-hmm. in different ways yeah. and so marina has taken it upon herself to make them her own and reenact them and i watched it and i was like oh my god i was just like oh my god i'm so excited (laughs) so that being said talk about visceral oh yeah it's just it looks aesthetically i was like oh oh my god it's so beautiful i can't i Mm -hmm. couldn't catch my breath so anyway i think it is september 6th and 7th so by the time this episode comes out Mm -hmm. Either I will be watch will have watched it last night or perhaps tonight. And I'm so excited. I can't I can't deal. So that is the end of my story. That was awesome. Thank you. I'm I'm sweating up a goddamn storm over here because I just got myself all worked up. What an amazing woman. I have no words. I have no words. Anyway, wrapping it up. Yes. Tell us about it. Well, if you liked what we were saying and you want <laughs> to let us know, <laughs> go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. 
Excellent. Um, <laughs> give us five stars. Give us a comment. Tell us how we're doing. If you want to give us a recommendation, go ahead. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And follow us on our socials. Mm -hmm. We love those. Although I am not great at posting on the Instagram. <laughs> I'm trying real hard to get better at it, y'all. Our Instagram and Facebook are at that Broads Got Moxie. And on Twitter, we are at Broads Got Moxie. Mm -hmm. And if you want, you can email us at thatbroadsgutmoxie at gmail.com. It's true. We got a couple listeners who are fucking on it. Yeah. Always getting emails from them. <laughs> Appreciate it. Hell yeah. Keep it up, y'all. All right. That's all. Okay. Bye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick it to the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.